You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. You know, we've been making our journey to the cross, and today uh, we meet the cross head on um, and uh, look at the crucifixion in greater detail. And we're in John chapter 19 in our long series through the Gospel of John and wrapping up pretty soon in the next... um, a handful of weeks. John 19, starting in verse 16. Let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it, whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. Today, the Sunday before Easter, we celebrate the Resurrection of Christ next week, of course. And today we look at the cross where we see Jesus crucified. You've likely noticed the large wooden cross out in the welcome area. It's not always there. This is a preview of our Good Friday service. It's uh, one of five stations that we will walk through in reflection and guided reflection, uh, looking at in greater detail uh, the the impact of the cross and the details of Jesus's journey to the cross. And, I, and as we were preparing that this week and setting it up, I had an interesting experience with that cross. Now, it wasn't mystical or spiritual in any sense. Uh, it was very practical. That cross stunk. I mean, it smelled so bad. It is made from used railroad ties. It's a literal railroad tie. It is Uh, soaked from top to bottom in creosote, which is this petroleum-based 
um, preservative for wood. It is loaded with tar and pesticides. It is stinky. And it filled up the whole welcome area and we were airing out the whole church. And I'm, I'm, I'm there with a spray bottle. I'm spraying it with vinegar. I'm even spraying it with Lysol. Anything that will neutralize the odor, I am spraying it. By the way, uh, don't light a match within 10 feet of that cross <laughs> for the sake of your eyebrows. And I, and I thought, here's my experience. And I thought, isn't that kind of what we do with the cross? We, we sanitize it. We try to neutralize it. We, we sterilize it. We try to remove the stench of it. We try to make it more convenient, more palatable for us. We try to make it nicer and more comfortable. And I reflected on that. And it's like, that's what we do. But the, the cross is so offensive. The cross is, the cross is so painful. The cross is a, a symbol of rejection and agony. It's a symbol of suffering and pain. It is a symbol of great despair and death. It is a public symbol of, of rejection. And who wants to think about those things in life? Who wants to think about the painful parts of our life? We want those things to be sterilized, to kind of be neutralized. We want those things to be removed from our life experience. Just give us the good. Let's get to Easter where we can get back to lilies and coffee cake, where the welcome area is filled with good smells of pastries rather than the stench of the cross. And if we're not careful, the, the Christian faith can be so easily turned into merely a pursuit of positive thinking, of flattery, or just better self-esteem. If we're not careful, that's what we will just focus on in our spiritual life, is just a place of serenity and comfort. And where there's pain in our life, we just want to get to a place where the pain is no longer there so that we can enjoy life. But the cross stinks. It still stinks. A little better than it was before, but it stinks. It stinks to remind us that, we, that what we need is truly something that we cannot do for ourselves, but only something that Jesus can do for us. The stench of the cross reminds us also, though, of God's ultimate expression of love. We need to let that, that, that stench kind of fill our nostrils so that it becomes real in our life and let that, let that experience point us to the great, faithful, trustworthy, beautiful love of God for us. And so let's look at the cross together this morning. And this passage from John is gonna show us a few things as we look at the cross, hopefully broadening the scope of our experience as we look at the cross. We're gonna look at the scope of sin's consequence, the scope of God's trustworthiness, and the scope of Jesus' final words. Let's get started with the scope of sin's consequence. This passage starts out in a, a rather reasonable and standard way. Jesus is led out from uh, the trial and his flogging, his beating. He's delivered over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The passage tells us he is bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. And this is already such a dark feel to this passage, right? It, this has this macabre feel to it. The place of the skull, there's this darkness over it. There's this cloud over it. There is this despair and depressing tone already. Just by even mentioning this, it's the kind of language that if you knew this place, which was infamous, it would give chills 
to you. And the passage simply says, and there they crucified him. And there they crucified him. Notice how little attention is given to the physical act of the crucifixion. Have you ever found this strange? I mean, if you look through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will search for, I want to know, I want to get down to the, ditty, the nitty-gritty of the crucifixion. You will not find it. You will, they will not go into a painful detail of the physical suffering of Christ. They won't go into that. In fact, all the gospel writers leave out much of the detail of the physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. The, pain, the cross was painful, agonizing even, but physical pain is not the focus of the cross. But the purpose of the cross and what it accomplishes is the focus of the cross. You see, the gospel writers don't waste any words in scripture. Every word matters. Every word is important. Every word is inspired by God and is meant to communicate exactly what God intends to communicate for us. And John doesn't leave it out by mistake, but rather he keeps, he keeps in only what is essential. And John focuses so little on the physical details of the cross so that we would reflect more deeply on the spiritual details of the cross. This is important. The, the difference here is important. We can minimize the, the purpose of the cross by focusing too much on the pain of the cross. We can minimize sin in this way as well. Here's an example. Have you ever heard it said like this or said it to yourself? If my sin is not hurting anyone, is it really that bad? If my sin doesn't have any obvious effect in the life of others or any immediate or obvious effect in my life, is it really something that I should avoid? We are so often focused on the external, on the physical, that we fail to realize the, the spiritual soul level importance of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. There are greater ways to suffer than simply physical. And John loads this passage with other ways that Jesus is suffering in our place for the consequence of sin so that we can broaden our scope of the purpose of why he went to the cross. There's a kind of pain that is far worse than physical. And if you have ever struggled with depression, if you have ever struggled with anxiety, debilitating grief, paralyzing fear, if you have ever suffered uh, with loss, you know what I'm talking about. You know that there is a kind of pain, a soul level kind of pain, that, when, that physical pain is actually an improvement in your life. This is why some self-mutilate, because physical suffering is, a, is an improvement, is a step up from a kind of pain that is so deep a suffering of the soul is the greatest kind of suffering. It's the greatest kind of pain that anyone can experience. When your, when your soul is suffering, physical death is an improvement. And sin doesn't just have physical consequences. Sin has soul level consequences. And John focuses on how Jesus bears that pain as well. The details are plentiful here in this passage. 
Even from the very beginning, he bears his own cross, this long walk of shame that he walks from the courtyard to the place of the skull. Everyone would know that here is a condemned man, condemned to death, a man on his way to a horrible death. And as he walks this road of this lonely road, he is mocked, he is spit on, he is cursed, and everyone is yelling at him, profanities. He is filled with dishonor and shame. He's crucified between two criminals, we are told. Here is the king of kings, the Lord of lords through whom all of creation came into existence. He's the only innocent man to ever live and he is treated like a criminal. No special treatment. He doesn't have a special cross, didn't have a, a special jail cell, he isn't crucified among dignified people that just were just enemies of the state. He is crucified between two criminals, common criminals, treated like a common criminal. Pilate mocks him with an inscription above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Even as Pilate's, even as Pilate's political opponent hangs on the cross to die, he is still feeling threatened by Jesus' power and still needs to put him to shame, still needs to stab him, still needs to get that last dig in to ridicule him. They took his garments. Imagine this, it feels like you cannot be further uh, vulnerable and exposed and here you are hanging on the cross to die and as you die, as you hang there, people rush into your house and divide your possessions among themselves. They strip him of his clothing. They keep the tunic in one piece because it has value. It was a rare thing to have. How he came uh, to possess this, we're not sure, but it was not common to have a tunic like this. And so it had some value. And so they say, let's not rip this because it will lose its value. Let's keep it in place. Jesus is treated as less valuable than a used piece of clothing, than a yard sale item. Then there are the words of Jesus, I thirst, and they give him sour wine to drink. To thirst is often in the Bible this euphemism for an agony of the soul. There is something that your soul needs and if you don't get, your soul will die. Just like if your body doesn't get water, your body will die. But John wants us to know something even more than that, a kind of suffering that Jesus is enduring. He wants us to connect these words, as we're told in this passage, with the Old Testament words in Psalm 69, which read this way. Follow along here. Here is Psalm 69. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, and I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Go read Psalm 69 in its entirety. And now instead of thinking of the words of King David, think of the words of Jesus. As Jesus fulfilling this scenario, and you will see that if this is not a, 
a physical kind of suffering, but a heart level, soul, soul, like just depth of sorrow. Psalm 69 is all about shame and dishonor. It is all about despair, a kind of despair that only physical suffering would be an improvement for. It is about a loss of relationship. It is about a loss of connection, a loss of dignity. It is about a loss of freedom. It is about being crushed in spirit. A a spirit that is so crushed that you are so thirsty, so parched, and you are so reaching out for some kind of refreshment and all that you get is vinegar for drink. Literally just like your soul is just withering away. And I've heard it preached this way before, this passage. Imagine how thirsty you would be. It's the middle of the desert. It's the middle of the day in the desert. You've been locked up for 24 hours. You haven't had anything to drink for a day. It's hot And Jesus was a man who had dry mouth and cries out for something to drink. Jesus was a man who was thirsty just like you and me. Of course he was thirsty just like you and me, but that's not what John is telling us. Jesus remained silent his whole week. Jesus was put, a a bag was put over his head. He was punched in the face and he remained silent. Jesus was silent when he was accused Jesus was silent the entire week and now he finally says, can I have some water? <laughs> Why is he talking now? He was silent all, that, all those beatings and never spoke a word and now he just says, I'm thirsty? There's a kind of suffering where every single molecule in his soul was in despair, not because he lost his faith, but because there our sin was resting on him and he was experiencing the kind of soul despair that happens to somebody who is covered in sin. This is the consequence of sin. John brings us into this true agony of Jesus that is beyond the physical so that we can see the true benefit of his sacrifice. The true benefit, he bore our shame. He bore our guilt. When the Bible tells us that he was crushed for our transgressions, it's not talking only in a physical sense. His very soul was brought to the deepest part of despair. Jesus was going through hell and going to hell and taking our sin with him in every sense of its meaning. Do not think that Jesus just went to the cross to be physically beaten for you. It is so much more. Anyone can do that. And many people have even done that, taken upon physical pain in their own life for your benefit. Anyone can go to the cross to die for you. But only Jesus could go to the cross to march into hell for you. With all of its despair, all of its disconnection from God, all of its, the loss of love, all of its loneliness and isolation, Only Jesus could do that. And he's experiencing this on the cross. And this is the only remedy for sin. The only remedy for sin is for Jesus to take upon the full consequence of sin, which is only one part physical. 
John is focused on what's happening to Jesus on the cross, but John is, he is just as much focused on the response that we should give as he tells the story. This has been his whole purpose, right? He wants us to know in God's trustworthiness. He wants us to know in God's faithfulness. He wants to broaden our, our scope of God's trustworthiness. That's the next point here in our sermon. That's why he's telling the passage. If you've been with us, you know, as we've been working through John, John has been saying, hey, I'm telling you this so that you'll believe. I'm telling this so you'll know that, who he is. I'm telling you that if you, if you trust in him, this is what you get. His whole entire story has been, hey, I'm telling you this so that you will know that God is a trustworthy, faithful God who does what he says he will do, who will never fail. And if you trust in him, you will have life in his name and it will be, never be taken from you. Do you notice the detail in this story, I, strange detail. So a lack of detail in the crucifixion, right? John just tells us, and there he was crucified. But then he tells us like the thread count of his tunic. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why, why the weird detail here? It's for our benefit. The, the benefit here is for us. The exact wording on the sign above Jesus' head, the exact languages it was written in, the conversation about changing the sign and Pilate's insistence it's going to stay that way, the name of where the place Jesus was crucified in both Greek and Aramaic, the names of the women at the cross, even the name of one of the woman's husband. I mean, we learn so much detail here. Why? Because it really happened. <laughs> Because Jesus was crucified in a real historical city, in a real year where there was a real governor and a real emperor and a real leader and real women and real women's husbands and real types of clothing and a real location that was infamously named with real eyewitness people who truly lived. And not only did this horrible thing happen, it happened because God is faithful. God's purposes were being fulfilled. So John is telling us this happened because God said so. And this is happening in this way so that God's word would be fulfilled. Right as this is happening, God's purposes are being fulfilled and his very word is being accomplished and fulfilled. To convince us that God says and he does everything that he says. That everything he says will come true. That not a single promise, not a single purpose will be left undone. There is no limit to God's faithfulness. There is no limit to God's trustworthiness. No enemy is powerful enough to thwart his plans and no person is outside of the reach of his grace. That is what he's wanting us to know in this, in the reality of this event. Every question that we have of God's faithfulness, the Bible tells us, finds its yes in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for the purposes, for the promises of God, find their yes in him. God, will you forgive my sins? Yes, look at Jesus. God, do you love me? Yes, look at Jesus. God, will I be okay? Yes, look at Jesus. 
God, will this evil be used for good somehow? Yes, look at Jesus. God, are you worth it? All this pain. Yes, look at Jesus. Not just trustworthy, not just faithful, but faithful to the end. Trustworthy to the end. Even as he hangs on the cross, bearing the weight of hell, what is he doing? Caring for his mother. Caring for his friends. Thinking of them. He looks at his best friend and says, take care of my mother. He looks at his mother and says, mom, embrace him as your son. Why tell us these details? I mean, so that when your sin troubles you, there's a real place to turn. There's a real place to turn. The cross, at the place of the skull, where God's promised Savior gave his life for you. So that when you are going through hell, there's a real place to turn. There's a real promise to, to behold. And there's a real God who is trustworthy and faithful to the very end. No matter what you are going through, no matter what pain, even what, whatever pain he's going through, he's still thinking of you to the very end. Never at any point, even in his worst point in his whole life, he's saying, okay, I, I got to focus on me right now. This would be the time. On the cross, as he's about to give up his final breath, this would be the time for him to say, just give me a second for me. And he doesn't. Not once, never. It's always about being faithful to the very end. Now consider these final words of Jesus. See the scope of his final words. It's here I want to linger for just a moment. The final words of Jesus before his death that John records, it is finished. What is finished? Everything. <laughs> it's his suffering, his agony, but so much more than that. He's not just saying, literally, thank God, this is finally over. In a sense, yeah, it, it, that's done too. His earthly suffering is over. It's, it's more of what a surgeon says after uh, uh, the final suture goes in into a major heart surgery and the surgeon steps back and says, that's it, we're done. It's more like that. Not a finally, gosh, can we get on with this already? But uh, what, what needed to be done, what needed to be done to bring healing to pay the penalty, to bring my children home, it's done. We can cease from our striving to save ourselves. We can stop trying to feel worthy based on our righteousness. We can stop searching for satisfaction in the wrong place that can never really fully deliver. When Jesus puts his mother in the loving care of his friend, he is saying to her, because of your relationship to me, you are accepted, you are secure, and you will never be alone. You are accepted, you are secure, and you will never be alone. That is what Mary is getting in a physical sense, and Jesus wants her to know that. In a physical sense, this is what she is getting, right? Because when your son dies, and you're left a widow, Joseph has died, her husband, she would have nothing. She, there, I heard one commentator said, there, 
Florida wasn't created yet. And so when you're a widow, you have nothing. I thought this was really funny. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, in a physical sense, you're not alone. You are accepted. You are loved. You are secure. You are safe. And you will never be alone. But in a spiritual sense, this is what we get when we trust in him. Don't just trust in Jesus in a, in a general sense. In a general sense of believing in Jesus would be, I know he loves me and I know he cares for me. That's trusting in Jesus in a general sense. But to trust Jesus in a specific sense, in, in a real sense, is to say this, I am accepted. Not because of my obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience. I am secure, not because of my strength, but because of his. And I am never alone because God is always with me. It is to really believe that, that I can cease from my striving. I can cease from trying to accomplish my way into his heart, into his love, into his family. I can cease from, from controlling the outcome of my life. I can cease from demanding comfort in order to feel secure. It is to truly believe that we are in God's hands. It is to trust in Jesus and all that he has done for us and to know that we are accepted, that we are secure, and that we will never be alone. The cross stinks because that's where our sin hangs. That's where our sin just rots on that cross. But it is beautiful. The cross is beautiful because this is where our Savior faced sin and hell and Satan himself and defeated him. And with the resurrection that we know is to come, the phrase, it is finished, sounds much more like a victory a victory for us. It's a victory for you. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.